Y'all glad to be here this morning? Man, I am just glad to be here this morning with all of you. It is a fun, exciting day. Uh, we are having the potluck afterwards, so make sure uh, you stick around for that. And uh, as uh, uh, Jessica mentioned, we are in the book of Acts. We've been in this for a while now, if this is your first time, and we're continuing in it today. And uh, as I was reading the passage for this week, I was reminded of a very special moment in my life. On Friday, April 1st, 1988, I was at an Assemblies of God Church, large Assemblies of God Church in Rockford, Illinois. And uh, we were there on Good Friday when I was a kid, and they did a big passion play, if you've ever seen that, the story of Jesus. And at the end, the pastor came up, and he started praying with people, and then he made this invitation. And he said, if you want to give your life to Christ this, this evening, I want to invite you to do that. And so we're all praying. I'm, I'm this eight-year-old kid sitting there with my parents. And he said, if you, if you want to receive Christ this morning, would you just raise your hand? And I don't know, something just came over me. I know what it was now, but I didn't know at the time. And I was like, I, don't, I want to do this. And so I raised my hand. I had no idea what was going to happen. And so I raised my hand, and my eyes are closed, and I feel this tap on my shoulder. And I look up, and there's this older woman who sort of frightened me right out of the gate, you know, like, whoa, like, I, I didn't know, I thought, I thought Jesus was a guy, what's going on, you know, like, I didn't know what was happening, and so she tapped me on the shoulder, she's like, just come with me, and I was like, okay, and so I went, it was the 80s, you could do that then with eight-year-old kids, right, like, nobody cared, it was like, go take them backstage, I don't care, and so she took me back to this prayer room, and she prayed with me, and there were other people there, and then she handed me this paperback New Testament, and she, I don't remember everything that she said, but I remember her encouraging me and saying, hey, listen, whatever you do, just make sure that you, you take time each day to read this book. And so when I went on my way and my parents were there and they hugged me and we celebrated that night. Now, I wish I could tell you that over the last 35 years, I've been doing exactly what she encouraged me to do, reading the Old and New Testament regularly throughout my life. But if I told you that, I'd be lying because... In fact, there were times when I would dip my toe occasionally into the Bible and read certain portions of it, but I never truly saw its value until later in life. In fact, I had no idea when she handed me that paperback book what I was actually holding in my hand until later in life. As of today, I've been a student of the Bible for 20 plus years as a pastor. I've devoted my life to the study and exposition of the words on the pages of the Bible. But I'm going to be really, really, really honest with you this morning. Is that all right? I'm going to be really honest with you. It wasn't until a little over a year ago that I had a major shift in how I read the Bible. I suddenly went from reading pages to reading a person. And that was a major shift for me. And that shift, I think, has completely changed and altered my approach to life, faith, and God's word. And so my hope for you this morning is this, as we walk through the passage that we're about to do, is that you will gain a new perspective, a new idea, a new passion for the gift that we call the Bible. So with that in mind, I want you to grab your phone if you haven't done so yet. Open up the YouVersion app. You can follow along with our message this morning. Uh, that is a free resource. Get it. Go to events and follow along. If you're in your Bible, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 12 again. Now, we're at the end of Acts chapter 12. Before we jump into our passage for this morning, 
Just a quick recap on where we've been so far in chapter 12. Uh, we find out at the beginning of chapter 12, uh, we are introduced to a gentleman named King Herod Agrippa. He is the current king of Jerusalem in Judea, right around the time of 41 to 44 AD. And he's afraid, he's a certain kind of king. He's like a puppet king. He's afraid of losing people's approval of him and praise. He's, losing the, he's afraid of losing the praise of the people around him. It doesn't matter if they're Jewish, or Roman, or Greek. He's going to do everything in his power to make sure that you approve of him. And so when he's with the Jewish people, he's as Jewish as they come. And when he's with the Romans, he's as Roman as they come so that they will all love him and like him and praise him. Well, this Christian movement thing by Acts chapter 12 is causing a lot of problems among the Jewish religion, especially in Jerusalem and Judea. And so the Jewish people are begging King Herod to uh, have a show of force against this new movement called the Christians. And so King Herod, you know, obliged to appease them, decides, fine, I'm going to kill one of them, I'm going to imprison one of them. So he kills James, the brother of John, and he imprisons their greatest leader at the time, Peter. But the church is not thwarted by any of this. They don't stand idly by and just like, oh no, what's going to happen? Instead, we looked last week, they get down on their knees and they begin to pray earnestly, fervently that God would do a miracle and a miracle he would do. Because as they pray, an angel would actually break into the prison, wake up Peter and free him from the prison, walk him by all of the guards, 16 of them that were guarding him and into the streets. He would go to the home of these first Christians in Jerusalem. They'd be surprised by his presence. And then knowing what he, was, who, what he actually was at the time, a fugitive on the run, he escapes Jerusalem and he goes away. The next morning, Agrippa comes into the prison. And of course, he's baffled, but I think he's also embarrassed. He executes all of the guards that are a part of this fiasco. And then he leaves and he goes to the beaches of Caesarea. My guess is because he's horribly embarrassed by what just happened. But that isn't the last that we see of Herod Agrippa. And in Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 20, we are reintroduced to him again. Here's what it says, starting in verse 20. It says, Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant, and an appointment with Herod was granted. Okay, stop there. We don't know exactly the reason why Herod is upset with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but it's probably, knowing his track record, something very petty. Right? He, he's trying to make a last stand, as he will, as a king. He's trying to you know, flex on Tyre and Sidon a little bit. He's trying to let them know, hey, look, I'm still king here. And so Tyre and Sidon, they're, they're desperate because they're reliant upon Herod and his kingdom for food. They don't want their people to suffer because of this. So they send a, a delegation to him and they're basically trying to make peace with Herod Agrippa and they're granted this appointment. Now, knowing Agrippa, he is loving all of this. Right? He is loving this attention. Remember, the greatest goal of his life is the approval and the pleasing of others. And so having people grovel at his feet is exactly what he wants right now. I mean, he's just been embarrassed by the situation with Peter, and now he's got people begging him to make peace with them. And, and, and they're coming to him just like, Herod, please, you mighty one, will you make peace with us? It makes him so happy that people would travel to sing his praises and ask for his approval for them. So happy is he that he decides, 
I'm going to make this appearance more memorable than any other before. And so as he goes before the delegates of Tyre and Sidon, this is what happens. Verse 21, he says, When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It's the voice of a God, not of a man. Oh, coincidentally, Luke, the author of Acts, is not the only one to talk about this actual moment in history. The Jewish historian Josephus, who lived at the same time, he records this very moment as well. And he describes the entire scene just as Luke does. He, he records that Herod put on these gorgeous silver robes that were designed to catch the light of the rising sun, to make it as if he was shining like a sun himself a ploy to look almost supernatural among the people, godlike. And because of his appearance, the people of Tyre and Sidon are convinced his words, they must be supernatural. They can't just be human. Look at him. He's shining and glowing. Listen to his words. They're just, they have a standing ovation and they say, this must be the words of a God, not a man. But the one God, the true God, He's not so impressed. Verse 23. <laughs> Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Yeah. Yeah. Now again, the Jewish historian Josephus records this same account. And, and he doesn't... <laughs> doesn't get so descriptive as Luke does, but he does say that as it was if Herod was hit with a swift and serious illness that killed him on the spot. Two different resources or sources say Herod was talking and he was you know, standing there and everybody thought he was a god and then the next thing we knew, he started coughing and he was dead, eaten by worms. And then Luke concludes this chapter by saying these words. Verse 24, meanwhile... The word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem. They returned, taking John Mark with them. This is one of the more dramatic moments in Jerusalem's history. And Luke says, after it, that Barnabas and Saul head back to Antioch with John and Mark. And oh, by the way, Herod's dead. He's eaten by worms. Gross. And the word of God is still chugging away. I like how the ESV's version of Acts 12, 24 says, it says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. It's as if Luke is saying, look, listen, listen, kings and leaders like Herod Agrippa, they're going to come and go. And they're going to say stuff. And they're going to behave like they have the final word. And when they speak, people themselves are going to think they speak like something out of this world, but none of it is real. Because everyone, last one of them will die, and their word will go with them. The words of Herod Agrippa on that day, that was the end of it. He dropped dead, and that was the end of it. But God's word, Luke says, well, that will never die. That will never fade. It, it will only continue, he says, to increase and multiply. In fact, Church histories will show us that when people try to intersect the multiplication and increase of God's word, it only grows greater. 
which is exactly what Herod Agrippa is trying to do here. Look at what Isaiah chapter 40 says. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 7 and 8, it says, The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord, and so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. It's as if Luke is telling his readers, us, no matter what may come, no matter who thinks they are in charge, no matter what anybody tells you, you are to build your life on one thing, the only thing that will stand the test of time, the Word of God. So let's talk about the Word of God. Let's talk about God's Word. Let's just, I want us for a minute to take a deeper look at why God's Word will continue to increase and multiply and stand forever no matter what may come. Because it is more God's Word than just words on a page. Let me show you why. And I want to start in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, if you've ever read John chapter 1, this is where you start. It's a bit of a precarious start to John's uh, gospel, but this is where he starts. And he reads this. He writes this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. It's interesting. John uses this moniker of the word to describe who? Jesus. He actually refers to the word as him because it's, it's Jesus. And it makes you wonder, why would, why, what is he doing there? Why is he using that word? Well, to understand that, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. Because the first five verses of John chapter 1 complement the first five verses of Genesis chapter 1. Let me show you. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, then God, what's the word? Said, let there be light. Then God said his word, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Did you notice that it is through God's word that the world comes to be. As John says, the word, Jesus, gives life to everything that was created, which means the word of God is so much more than just words on a page. The word of God is first and foremost the person of Jesus. He is your Bible. When you open the scriptures and you read you are reading Jesus. By the way, the Trinity, you've ever heard that word, one God, three persons? This is the first place that we see it in Genesis chapter 1. It says that God the Father is creator. He creates the heaven and the earth. It says that the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And then it also says that the Word of God, when God speaks, is there as well. So if the Word of God is not just words on the page of a book, but is the actual word of God, Jesus, then what does that mean for us? What does it mean when we open up our Bibles and we read? 
Well, it means that every word you read, every uh, instruction, every story, every poem, every principle, every prophetic word, every word you read is a look into the person of Jesus himself. You aren't just reading words on a page. You are reading the word on the page. Which is why Isaiah 40 and Luke in chapter 12 can say, when everything else is faded and withered away, when the king dies of worms right before you, there is still one thing that will remain, and it is the word of God. It is Jesus himself. John 1 begins by telling us that the word became flesh, but it ends by saying that the word defeated sin, Satan, and death, and he will have the final word on his creation. Nothing and no one will stand in the way of that, certainly not Herod Agrippa. So then Luke is pointing us to something that should be of great importance when he talks about this in Acts chapter 12. And here's what I want you to notice more than anything else. Here's what I want you to take away today more than anything else. And Luke is telling you, he's telling me, build your life on the unfading, unfailing word of God. Everything else will wither and fade. Build your life on Jesus. Of course, this wasn't Luke's original idea. He's simply just alluding to something that Jesus already said about himself. Look at, look at Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49. He says, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. They're, they're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Luke says, Jesus says, build your life on the unfading, unfailing word of God. Everything else in this world will eventually fade and wither. But the word of God, the person of Jesus, it will never go away. It will stand the test of time. So build your life on him. There is no other thing in this world worth building your life upon because all of it will eventually wither and fade. Build your life on the word of God. Let it be the source of all that you are and all that you do. May he be central to the calling on your life to be, as we say, a changed life, changing lives. May it be the foundation upon which everything you do and all that you are is built upon. This is why if you hang around here long enough, you will hear me talk about the importance of reading your Bible. It is not about checking off a task. It is about meeting with a person. The person of Jesus every morning in my house. By the way, I was honest earlier. I'll be honest again. I, you know, I've been pretty erratic with this sort of uh, consistency in doing this. I know many of you struggle with that too, so I get it. But, but, but re-envisioning, the, re, the new vision that God gave me of God's word just has just illuminated so much and it draws me to it in a way that never before. And so every morning I get up 
And uh, I head to our front room, and I put on my glasses now because I have to wear glasses when I read. Um, <laughs> it's, I know, I know. It's just part of the deal. I get it. So I put my glasses on. I look good in glasses, by the way. One of these days, I'm going to wear my glasses. Y'all see, okay? But, uh, and I read, and I follow this five-day reading plan, which I'd, I'd be happy to share with you. And, and right now, I'm in the book of Leviticus. Oh, yeah, the girl. I hear that a lot. Like, I'm in the book of Leviticus. And whenever I hear that, I just sort of feel bad for Leviticus. I'm like, man, like, you got a bad rap. Like, I get it, but, like, you know, you know, usually, I, you know, I, I can do good with, you know, things until I get to the book of Leviticus. We all sort of feel that way. But um, and if you're like, what is Leviticus? It's, you know, third book in the Old Testament. And it's really heavy with all of these laws that God is giving to his people early in their journey towards this promised land. And it can get a little intense. It can be a little gross. It can be, you know, sort of repetitive at times. But and not only do I just kind of feel bad for it because it always gets a rad bad. Uh, bad rap, but because of the shift in my mindset about the scriptures, I've actually come to enjoy reading the book of Leviticus. Yes, Jane, really. Yes. Now look, it's not because I love to read about skin diseases and bodily discharges. It's not about that. But it's because I don't just see words on a page anymore. I see a person there's a person behind all of it. I see the love of Jesus coming through the words of Leviticus as he sets them apart and he provides clear guidelines for how their community can stay healthy and remain pure before God. So Luke and Jesus says, look, build your life on this. This is a person you're interacting with, the person that will stand the test of time, the word who came, became flesh and was incarnate among you and he lived among you and he walked among you and he taught among you and then he died a death that you deserved and he rose again from this grave three days later to defeat sin, Satan, and death. You can build your life upon him and you should because it will never end. There's nothing like this in the world. You can search it high and low and you will not find anything like the word of God to build your life upon. It will stand firm when everything else is gone. So build your marriage on the word of God. Build your finances on the word of God. Build your career on the word of God. Build your relationships on the word of God. Build your house on the word on the word of God. My connection with, the God, with God's word changed drastically a couple of years ago when I realized I wasn't just reading words on a page, I was reading the person of Jesus. And it wasn't just this random person, it was this loving, kind, and gracious, loving Jesus. I realized Jesus was standing right before me, waiting eagerly for me to come and to read about him and to read from him and to learn from him. I didn't see this Jesus who was standing cross-armed in my living room going, you better show up today. I realized Jesus was standing open-armed, ready to welcome me anytime. Come, I've given you this gift, these words on a page. They will stand the test of time. Nothing like it in the world. Everything else will wither and fade, but I am here. Come to me. Read me. The Bible is the living word of God because Jesus is not dead. 
He's alive and well, and he's with us always, and every day he is waiting for us on the pages of that book. I don't care if you read it on your phone or you listen to it in your ears or you have a Bible from the fourth century. I don't care. It is there for our benefit. Every day he's inviting us, build your lives on this. Build your life on this. The Herod Agrippas of the world, like they're going to come and they're going to go with their fancy robes and their quick-witted words, but the word who became flesh and lived among us will never, ever fade. He will never, ever fail. So build your life on him. There are so many things competing for you in this world to build your life upon. Don't believe it. There is only one thing worth building your life upon, and it is the very word of God. So it's my hope. Even as you leave here today, after you eat, I hope you stick around and you eat, you wake up tomorrow morning, that you won't just see words on a page anymore. That you'll see the person of Jesus behind every story, behind every instruction, behind every law that he created in the Old Testament that he since fulfilled, behind every prophetic word given to us by Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, Obadiah, Yes, that's a real book. That you will read with new eyes and new perspective. That you will heed the words and listen to the words of Luke chapter 12. That no matter what happens, the one thing that will continue to increase and multiply is God's word in this world. In you, and in you, and in you, and in you, and you. It it is never ending what the word of God can do. You Look, we live in a day and age where we have access to God's word like we've never before. And yet, we are the most biblical, biblically illiterate culture ever. We, we have it right at our fingertips. And I think part of the problem is we just see words on a page. And the invitation is, these aren't just words on a page. This is the person of Jesus himself. When you read the story of Acts, you are reading the story of Jesus living in and breathing in and moving in the people of God and he's still doing it today so build your life on that don't go building your life on anything else it will wither, it will fade it will disappoint build your life on God's word, the person of Jesus the word of God to be read every moment of every day for us to live out Uh, I mentioned uh, a couple, well, it's been a little over a year that I just decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through the Bible this year. How many of you said that on January 1st? And then you get to like February 1st, you're like, whoa, like Leviticus, oh no. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to read through the Bible. And I feel like it was a gift from God that he started to open my eyes to this because I can't put it down. It's gone from, I better pick this up to I better put this down because there are some things I need to get done today. I can't put it down. And I, I am telling you right now that there is no better place to be than in a place where your life is so built upon the word of God that you're like, ah, I kind of want to read more. Uh, I kind of want to be there more, Jesus. I kind of want to be with you more, Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus is waiting in your living room or your kitchen or wherever you like to read a Bible. And he's where with open arms inviting you, come 
and hear from me. You won't want to put it down. You'll only want to build your life on it. And when you do, you will experience both the mercy and the peace and the grace of God and also the abundant life that I came to provide for you. So build your life on that version app we talk about, it's a great resource. If you're curious about the five-day Bible reading plan that I use, I'm happy to share that. In fact, we'll probably, maybe we'll put it in the newsletter. We'll, uh, I'll send it out. We can send it out in a text. It's really simple, really easy to follow. But whatever you do, when you wake up tomorrow, may the first thing you reach for be God's word. May it be the thing that you begin, maybe tomorrow for the first time, you begin to build your life. God, we, we thank you that at the very beginning of time, that in your love, your word came to us. That in creation, through him, through Jesus, everything was created. And that even today, as it says in, in Colossians, that everything is still held together by him. It is my prayer that by your grace and your mercy, you would give us new eyes to see what you have put before us in the Bible. That when we read the book of 1 John or the book of Revelation or the book of Malachi or the book of Isaiah or 2 Kings, we're not just reading stories or you know history or whatever. There's components of that, but we are, in its core, we are reading about Jesus are reading about the one who gave his life for us, who came and lived among us, to give us an opportunity to build our life upon something that would last the test of time, that would never end, that would never wither and fade. So when we be people, when we wake up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, the first thing we look to do is to meet with you. And whether we're reading Leviticus or we're reading, reading through the book of Acts, God, that we would see your son Jesus in every word on that page. His loving kindness, his grace to us, his compassion, his desire for us to know him better, to experience new life in and through him. Thank you that the word became flesh and lived among us. The Lord, the word willingly walked to the cross, spread his arms wide and willingly died for forgiving us, that he went to the grave and rose again three days later to give us the hope of new life beyond even this world.